that when it is too much practical is emphasized, mm-hmm. that sometimes belief, in particular the theology, gets left behind. And let's face it, new trends come around. It could be a new theology. Mm-hmm. And it might be hard for a pastor to say, you know, I don't know much about that. Let me look into it for you. But even as intellectual, and even as thinker, and even as wanderer, I like the Word of God to be unpacked a little more fully than sometimes Mm. pastors might do in a sermon. Paul's instructions to Timothy, where he says, preach the Word in season and out of season. Uh, What what in your view is the out of season that we're preaching to today? Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man does it get hard sometimes. I'm so encouraged by the feedback I've been getting for these podcasts. I can't believe we've done 17 podcast interviews already and the feedback has been good. I would love more perhaps uh, reviews online so if you you could go to uh, Apple iTunes and just give me a a good rating there whatever you want to give be honest as long as it's good (laughs) but I'd love the feedback thanks for talking to other people about this as well I love it when I hear that people have been sharing this with their pastor they might hear one of my podcasts and say hey I I made sure my elders listen to this that really encourages me so you're encouraged I'm encouraged this is a win-win hey we've talked a lot in these podcasts about really the obvious things that pastors face. If I had made a list at the very beginning of the different things I wanted to cover in these in these interviews, uh, they're pretty obvious things, you know, like marriage challenges, uh, you know, struggles with doubt in ministry, conflict with people, uh, you know, challenges with children. Uh, in a couple cases, we've talked about a loss of a spouse and, and how you rebound back to ministry. And my goal in these interviews have been really pretty singular, and that is to encourage the pastor or the ministry leader to keep his focus, to not be distracted uh, from his me- message, to not go off message, to stay on mission, and to realize with this that serving Jesus can come and probably will come with opposition and with challenges. In fact, we're promised in Scripture that that's the case. You know the story of the Apostle Paul, that when he was called to follow Jesus and called to ministry, which happened almost at the same time, uh, the prophet uh, Ananias very specifically told him that he would suffer much for the kingdom of God. Uh, There's one thing that we probably have not talked about yet that pastors face, And the more I've thought about it recently, the more I realize this is a heavy burden that pastors carry. But again, it's not an obvious one. It would not show up in the in the um, you know top ten, top twenty sort of things that pastors uh, uh, go through. Uh, But you see across society today, and and we're promised that this would happen towards the uh, the last days. The pressure for the pastor to bend to or to compromise his message. This is becoming an increasingly heavy burden for him to carry. It's getting really harder and harder for the pastor, the missionary, to just stick to the simple message of the gospel. Uh, It's not easy to stay committed to simply preaching the cross and the basic doctrines of the Bible and to believe that the Bible is the authority that we live by. Uh, I thought it was interesting, someone recently suggested that most pastors have absolutely no problem believing in the authority of Scripture, What they struggle with is really believing in the sufficiency of Scripture, that the Bible is enough. 
And, uh, and again, we're told in, in Timothy uh, that in the last days there will be people that will rise up, that will be teaching and preaching things that will make uh, people's ears tickle. Uh, people will hear a, a pleasant message and uh, hear you know, God promising things that he never promised in Scripture, health and wealth. And uh, so just across the, the board, there has been this pressure to uh, maybe bend a little bit and accommodate uh, our message uh, a little bit to make it more suitable and more interesting. Um, so not long ago, I sat down w- for lunch with Professor Brian Shelton, Dr. Brian Shelton from Tacoa Falls College, to prepare for this interview. Uh, he's the one I'm interviewing in this. And we spent a good bit of time trying to come up with a title that would uh, appropriately reflect our concern with this subject. And Brian hit it on the head when he suggested that we refer to this podcast with the title of The Pastor and Theological Anxiety. I like that. And uh, you're going to find this interview to be a refreshing call to faithfully preach the Word of God and to stand strong against the pounding winds that are meant to unsettle the pastor or the believer from the simple commitment to the gospel and to not compromise the truth in any way. Because, again, that's a hard thing that pastors are facing today, and that's why we want to address it in this uh, podcast. I love Dr. Shelton's gentle but firm approach to this subject. He's a great guy, very personable, uh, very confident. Uh, Dr. Brian Shelton is provost of uh, and professor of theology and church history at Toccoa Falls College in Northeast Georgia. It's the college that I graduated from. We actually live in the town where Toccoa Falls is located right now. Uh, he, he is um, not a pastor, and his employees mention that he's not naturally pastoral, uh, but he cares about the spiritual shepherds of the church, and we need people like that because they will say things that maybe other people might not be willing to say. And he realizes that theology is the foundation for faith and ministry. Uh, Dr. Shelton holds a bachelor from degree from Asbury University, an MDiv from Covenant Theology Seminary, Theological Seminary, a PhD in Historical Theology from St. Louis University. He's the author of Martyrdom from Exegesis to Hypolitus, I doubt I pronounced that correctly, and a study of an early church commentary on Daniel that encourages Christians under persecution a book entitled Prevenient Grace, a study of God's work to alleviate sin that sinners may believe in Christ, and Quest for Historical Apostles on the Journey of the Twelve Beyond the New Testament, which is a book that's to be released in April 2017. Actually, that's behind us. Uh, Most importantly, he's married to Sally, and he has three daughters. So join me as I talk to Dr. Brian Shelton about the pastor and theological anxiety. All right, I am at the administration office at Toccoa Falls College with uh, Dr. Brian Shelton across from me. Thank you, Brian, for being part of this interview. Thanks so much for having me. And we were just talking before I hit record that this is where the infamous Paul Alford, those who are Toccoa Falls uh, <laughs> grads, will know the uh, president of the college that was here for, what, 20, 30 years? And it seemed like two or three hundred years. His legacy was that great. <laughs> Good one. Uh, well, he was in this building. We don't know if it was in this office, but his spirit lingers. Uh, I'm sure. Um, hey, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into the topic today. This is an edgy topic I, in in the number of issues. I've done 16 podcasts already, and and they all have to do with burdens and challenges that people in ministry face. This is one of them. We're we're gonna be talking. You you gave this 
this expression to me of theological anxiety uh, to describe what a lot of pastors are experiencing. Uh, what do you mean by that term? Let me say in opening that Before You Quit it seems like a very exciting uh, webpage with this podcast and its material that are there. Thank you. And Thank so you. as we talk about <laughs> pastors today, I'd like the disclaimer to be there that uh, I value pastors and pastors are special and they do great work. And in fact, uh, many pastors cannot do what uh, Paul Alford and I do and we can't do what they do. Mm. And so as we talk about theological anxiety and uh, encourage pastors, uh, but also challenge pastors, we want to make sure that that's out there, uh, that uh, the audience is a, is a special group. Theological anxiety is a, is a term that we came up together here mm-hmm. at, at lunch over. Yeah, can, can I tell everybody what we were going to use and you felt like that might, maybe was a little strong? We were sure. talking about theological. What was the term again that we were? Insecurity. Insecurity, and you, you felt like that was too insecure of a term and maybe did not re- <laughs> would not reflect well really what we're trying to do here. Uh, so you, you came back in the email and said, I, I like the term anxiety. Uh, so I, I like that. So again, what what are you what are you describing there? Pastors dedicate themselves to shepherding people, counseling, preaching the word, overseeing important programs in the life of the church. Pastors often have a strong practical bent, and it seems to me that this focus on practice and even outcomes, uh, sometimes decisions or uh, attendance numbers or a number of times that the uh, the soup kitchen has been opened this year. Uh, that when it is too much practical is emphasized, mm-hmm. that sometimes belief, in particular the theology, gets left behind. Put on, put on the side, yeah. Theology yeah. should drive how we shepherd, how we counsel, and how the people that are serving actually are formatively, they're transformed spiritually mm-hmm. uh, th- through their service. Theology and belief sometimes become secondary to ministry and service, Sermons become practical spiritual guidance, Mitch, and the preaching of the word sometimes simply reinforces why those practices should occur instead of the practices being informed, being mm-hmm. driven by the theology. Yeah, because we, we talk a lot about you, you do what you do because of what you believe. And uh, so what you're describing is a there's a tendency for the pastor to lean so strongly on the pastoral, forgetting that the pastoral emerges out of a, a strong theological conviction. And he, and he stops uh, focusing on that. He stops uh, remaining sharp and Stops focusing on it. Theology. Stops, re- does not continue to remain accurate, mm-hmm. perhaps, on theology. Okay. Okay. And in particular, as I thought about it, this theological anxiety might manifest itself in three ways for a pastor. Mm-hmm. One is accommodation a tendency to yield to some theology because it's not a big deal or because it doesn't affect practice, Mm -hmm. and maybe even sometimes to avoid conflict. Uh, Secondly, theological anxiety might show itself in insecurity, Mm -hmm. a term that I think we should introduce. A pastor might avoid theology because they can't articulate it, Mm -hmm. or they don't remember it when Mm -hmm. there was a seminary class on that particular thing. Or again, yeah, it's that one class I took in exactly in college, and yeah. exactly. And then a third, a theological anxiety, I think, can manifest itself in dismissal. Uh, that is downplaying theology. Oh, that's not that important. Mm-hmm. So whether it be kind of letting theologies merge together when we should keep them separate because one might be false mm-hmm. or even harmful in another situation, or avoiding theology and insecurity, or really just kind of downplaying it 
dismissing it. Mm-hmm. I think all three could be expressions that, that I'm going to go ahead as theologian and say, I see pastors do these things. Okay. And and the use of the term anxiety is, is for what? And, and a, general, to that a general term to describe how a pastor might be a little bit out of touch with the theology, mm-hmm. an old theology, or an unfamiliar theology. And let's face it, new trends come around. could be a new theology. Mm-hmm. And it might be hard for a pastor to say, you know, I don't know much about that. Let me look into it for you. Yeah, and, and the anxiety could be that he might be aware that he needs a strong theology but has gotten away from it. And I, I agree with you. I think, I mean, again, I pastored for 33 years, and there was always that. Uh, that I mean, even in, in sermon preparation, which is, uh, that's the context, obviously, where our nose is in theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we have to be uh, available to everybody. Mm. Uh, you have to visit people. You're leading a church. You're leading ministry. And you, you know also that you should be in the Word. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes that does, I, I, I felt that tension. I, I think I, I kept that as a priority, but I certainly felt that tension. Uh, so in that sense, it, it can bring about an anxiety as well, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Indeed. A great example that I often use in class is Jehovah Witnesses. Mm-hmm. They will come to our door on a Saturday uh, we might answer, we might not answer, we might dismiss them. Occasionally, evangelical, even a pastor might invite them in in the hopes of understanding, the hopes of dialogue, maybe in the hopes of even um, improving the visitor's theology. Mm-hmm. And yet very few evangelicals know exactly what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Some might consider them Christian. Um, others, historically, the church has not, mm-hmm. uh, particularly because of their doctrine of Christ, the person of Christ. But un- until our nephew becomes a Jehovah Witness or right, or one of our daughters starts mm-hmm. to attend, we just kind of let that be out of sight. And as a result, theologically, they are out of our mind. Mm-hmm. Instead of being uh, prepared, uh, being well-rounded, uh, being informed. Yeah. Well, when they, when they knock on my door, I just tell them I'm a pastor and they run. Because they assume I'm going to come out. I'm kidding. I yeah. don't know if that really Well, happens. I tell them I have a PhD in theology. <laughs> that and it doesn't do it. stop that them. Would, it doesn't stop them. It gets them excited. They they wring their hands and, and take a step forward in the, right. in the house. Uh, let, th- there seems to be a, a tension today between um, a group of people who are, uh, you know, discernment is becoming... Um, uh, you know, pe- a bad word, really. I mean, people mm-hmm. who are who are discernment people are are being labeled as being um, either hypocritical or fuddy duddies or traditionalists or Pharisaical, uh, and so there's this tension between people like that who are known for being you know in discernment ministry, and and those who another group who seem to embrace and you mentioned the word accommodate uh, almost any wind of doctrine out there and. Um, okay, so books and the movie like The Shack, that's, in fact, that's how you and I first connected. Uh, so here, here's the story for, for those who are listening. Um, when The Shack, was, the book was out back in uh, 2011, oh 2011. Seems like forever. Ago. Yeah. Um, you spoke at chapel about it, and my daughter was attending college here at Tacoa Falls College, and she told me about it because that's when The, the Shack was just uh, t- being taken by storm. And I was in Franklin, North Carolina. I was a president of the Ministerial Association. And when my daughter had told me that you had, you had done a talk on that subject, uh, I invited you to Franklin. And you did a whole presentation on how we should handle the, the shack. So recently, of course, the, the movie has come out. And uh, so, so, you know, that, that's an example where, uh, you know, it's a book, it's an idea, 
Um, and uh, you know, again, it is it is a, um, a belief that has been presented in a novel form, uh, very novel the way he did it actually. Um, and because it's warm and has a comforting message, uh, uh, a lot of people have have jumped on that, and um, and it's really kind of shown us that a lot of people have shaky theology. Um, so what what concerns you as this sort of tension? appears to be growing in our evangelical culture today. I like the word discernment. It is a biblical term, uh, particularly when discernment is misunderstood, misperceived. Uh, often judging is the word yeah, that yeah. is attributed yeah. uh, to yeah. a fellow Christian, perhaps a pastor, mm-hmm. perhaps a layperson, that if you l- look into someone's life and you might speak into it, or even mm-hmm. if you're not looking into it, it just appears before you, uh, then in fact... To offer criticism can be viewed negative mm-hmm. or the person feels defensive. And when it comes to discernment, uh, Christians in general, but particularly pastors, are in, caught in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, for pastors, I'm thinking of all of the times that they have to endure you know, long speeches or uh, boring discourses from parishioners or requests or questions, you know, maybe to bless the animals or... Um, I don't know. To, really, that happened to, to you. <laughs> to come over and and um, to dress me because I because mm. I, I broke my leg mm-hmm. and I need the assistance mm-hmm. or something. It's, pastors particularly are servicing, mm. shepherding, even spiritually feeding and caring for for others in, in large part because that's expected of that's them. expected of them. And yet they also have to be discerning and judging. They have to be precise theologically. And it's a real conundrum Mm -hmm. because it's really hard to explain to someone who's caught in sin that this isn't about their brother's judgment. It's about them. Mm -hmm. And the same thing when it comes to judging theology, I think, that people might take it personal or people just accuse of of being judging. The shack is a great example or a second example here um, in terms of theological anxiety. Boy, it is what I call a tar baby topic. Once you get your hands on it, it was one chapel, Mitch. Uh, it's mm-hmm. something I just can't seem to get my hands off. And mm-hmm. now that the movie's mm-hmm. out, you know, here yeah, we yeah. are yeah. Uh, after coming to Franklin and talking about it. But in terms of theology, because your listeners may be wondering, to keep it general, that book and even the movie is a great tool for counseling, for healing, for someone who has been hurt that feels like they'd like to encounter God. Uh, this story is a powerful one. It's a great example of a practical application mm-hmm. that comes from, mm-hmm. from this book. Uh, in a different situation, somebody, a, a Muslim, for example, wants to understand the Trinity mm-hmm. because the Trinity is a, a stumbling block for, mm-hmm. uh, for the Islamic faith where there is only one God. If they were to read the shack, then the shack is highly offensive. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. isn't it isn't evangelizing anyone. It isn't counseling anyone. If anything, it's creating division. And so if the theology there particularly isn't right, then it's not being helpful. Mm-hmm. And so just because something's practical doesn't mean it's theologically right. And in the case of the shack, the biblical story is powerful. Mm-hmm. The invisible father and an invisible spirit are forever with the son who took on flesh and dwelt among us, uh, to use John's language, and... If the son, the son's incarnation and his ministry in flesh should be enough mm-hmm. for us as believers or anyone who has been hurt who encounters God, such as the shack, mm-hmm. we don't need to make 
the Father flesh and the Spirit flesh there mm-hmm. also. Yeah. And so on one hand, it could be a little theological trivial matter, but on the other hand, theology does inform. So what, what should a pastor's responsibility be when something like that becomes so mainstream and, uh, and, and being accepted and embraced by your parishioners as a form of gospel? I think most people do not read that and say, oh, this is just a great book, mm. even though that's the defense of a lot of people. Uh, I think uh, for the most part, people were, were reading it and, um, and attaching their, their, their own uh, theological hopes on what they read there. It's like, yeah, that's, that, you know, I've always wanted God to be like that, and now someone has presented it that way. So what's a pastor's responsibility, the preacher's responsibility? Because, mm-hmm. again, we're talking a lot about the pastor. Uh, he's also a preacher. That's the part you're saying is not emphasized enough. So well, certainly the preaching needs a theological base to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no less so does our discipleship activities, or VBS even. Mm-hmm. Uh, when was the, how often does a pastor pull aside the VBS teachers and say your preparation is a spiritual act, mm-hmm. that your teaching is in fact use of the gift that Paul talks about in mm-hmm. Scripture? Uh, that this is mm. something that you that is your discipleship also, and not just the discipleship of the kids. Really, we focus on a lot of the activities without the theology yeah. maybe governing. It's on the holistically, the really. The whole church needs to be that, shaped by good theology. Yes, yeah. that's right. And so I, I think I would like to encourage your pastors to be comprehensive in their theology. Uh, but nonetheless, mm. I think... There's a balance to be struck. Mm-hmm. There's going to be times where the practical really is going to eclipse the theology. And, and we celebrate, uh, for example, uh, uh, the result of a mission trip r- regardless of the theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, beforehand, if there were theology of mission or on a daily basis, not just devotions on the field before you go out and do your work, although mm-hmm. that's good, uh, but devotions which might be focused to the type of work or why people are there Mm -hmm. or to understand um, social needs that Jesus introduced us into the importance of service in. I think it goes to balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's going to be times that are more theological than practical, on Mm -hmm. the other hand. And we need both. So I would encourage pastors that when people are emphasizing the practical and how they were blessed by something, Mm -hmm. we have to continue to be supportive and to nod and even Mm -hmm. say, praise the Lord. And there will be times in which some theological balance might come to that. Or we might say, on another occasion, we'll talk about the theology. Mm-hmm. But to make sure there are activities in the life of the church that are just as theological as they are practical. Yeah, I, I wonder if the anxiety comes in when a pastor, I, I've experienced this, uh, you know, when you come to church and there's things that the church is doing where you're saying, I, I'm not really comfortable with us doing this. It doesn't seem to... Uh, you know, for example, VBS. So we, in fact, this was, a, I think, an example of, of us eventually doing it right. Uh, just the, the easy way in which we invited, you know, we get 200-some kids coming to, to VBS. We give a gospel presentation. Kids raise their hand, and then we chalk up, you know, we announce Sunday morning. We had 40 kids that came to Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody claps. And, mm-hmm. um, but that, that bothered me because I, we, we were not... Uh, spending a lot of time thinking through about the gospel message, the content mm. of the message. Mm. Are, we, are we clearly sharing with children uh, the nature of man, that we're sinful mm. and what Jesus did? And, and so we, we spend time as staff talking about, uh, okay, we, we need to really be biblically accurate here in how we do this. Um, 
any other examples you can think of in, in a church where, where that might... I mean, you talked about mission trips, that uh, preparing maybe teams with a good biblical basis for why they're doing what they're doing. Yes, uh, for example, maybe paralleling a mission trip to Indonesia mm-hmm. for a congregation with one of Paul's mission trips in Acts mm-hmm. and see what issues he particularly encounters. You may not encounter the same ones in Indonesia, but certainly there's the opportunity for a theological base. Mm-hmm. There are issues to be drawn out, or they might be remind themselves be reminded of the Apostle Paul when they think of themselves. I mean, that would be a, mm-hmm. a great reflection, a proud reflection for any Christian. Or when a situation is encountered, let's say on a mission trip, mm-hmm. that the way in which it is explained is not merely pastoral with a verse in there, mm-hmm. but actually it's explored theologically. Mm-hmm. The times where a pastor sees a problem and doesn't follow up, a theological issue, mm-hmm. and doesn't follow up because it all worked out okay, I would consider that accommodation of theological anxiety. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. just kind of let it go. Or in their mind, they just dismiss it as not important. Mm-hmm. But usually we, we just kind of let it go, and if it comes up next year, we'll try to address it beforehand. If a pastor is not comfortable theologically confronting an issue, mm-hmm. I mean, it could be the nature or practice of a visitor. It could be a parishioner who wants a, a new ministry, and the pastor might just accommodate it. If mm-hmm. a pastor can't explain theologically what's wrong, mm-hmm and they find themselves insecure, then that's a time in which they might be failing their own call and also failing the congregation. Yeah, and we, we have, you know, more urgent issues today, moral issues like marriage and, you know, and it's sad to say back in our day that, the, you know, the big hot issues were divorce and remarriage. Right. Now we're looking at gay marriage and churches need to have a, a, a solid biblical response to these things and, and to teach the congregation about it constantly. Uh, but we're we're nervous too because the culture is telling us no that that's you know don't do that that's mm-hmm. that's not politically correct and uh, you need to be tolerant of these things and there's a lot of pressure there isn't there indeed and to address these issues before they arrive mm-hmm. in the sanctuary is an opportunity to be theological in advance while you have time and space to explore mm-hmm. what you believe uh, it's just a lot harder when yeah. you're in the middle of a crisis. To be able to incorporate the theology. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love um, before we transition here. I, I love what you're suggesting here that it's not just in the arena of preaching that there needs to be confidence theologically, but again, holistically in every area of the church. Uh, so I, that that's uh, that that's going to be encouraging for for folks to hear that. And hopefully, a challenge to kind of maybe even review everything you're doing mm-hmm. in the church and mm-hmm. saying, hey, uh, why are we doing this, and is this biblical? And how we can, how can we revisit the the motive, the purpose, the mission behind these things? I want to pause for just a moment and encourage you to go to iTunes. And if you don't mind, be so kind to leave a five star rating on the podcast site there, and also maybe a short review to let us know how this podcast has been speaking to you. Uh, Heather writes this. This is really encouraging. She says, "Mitch Schultz knows what it means to suffer and struggle with the real things in life." He's wrestled and questioned and doubted through life, loss, and betrayal. He also knows what it means to come out on the other side of it stronger and more equipped for the calling on his life. This podcast is reflective of that and so much more. His guests, his guests aren't celebrities or people in the Christian spotlight with book deals, but rather are real-life, honest believers 
who are living an authentic faith through the trials of life. Before You Quit podcast is what you want to listen to if, you're, if you've ever thought about giving up on this faith journey, as it will encourage you to take another step forward, surrounded by, by believers who are doing the same. Heather, thank you so much. That really encourages me. Now let's go back to the interview with Dr. Brian Shelton. You mentioned to me um, when we met over lunch that uh, a lot of pastors are <laughs> defensive in their preaching. Um, what have you seen there, and what 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 are you concluding there? What's your concern? Oh, how many times have I been in the pulpit with my Bible open, excited mm-hmm. that the word was being preached, and then? There's an element of the text which is interesting, and there could be people who are dealing with the issue that rather than give that verse merit and say it's for another time, oh, a pastor might say, well, you know, Jesus casting out demons, we now have um, greater psychological understanding, and in the ancient world they attributed a spiritual causes to evil Mm -hmm. rather than understanding psychological. Mm -hmm. And then skips over that component of a text mm-hmm. and it goes on to a, a great phrase by Jesus. And that, that is mm-hmm. what is focused on, particularly with that phrase, the words of Jesus are encouraging. As theologian, but even as intellectual and even as thinker and even as wonderer, I like the word of God to be unpacked a little more fully than sometimes mm-hmm. pastors might do in a sermon. Now, pastors have objectives that I don't always understand mm-hmm. and they know the needs of the whole congregation uh, but in the Reformed tradition, uh, which I don't fully share theologically, but I have some training in, it is the preaching of the Word by the power of the Spirit that is effective. Mm-hmm. And we need pastoral strategies, but we also need room for the whole text to be able to speak particularly for itself, sure, if you will, sure. and thus uh, have the Lord even speaking. Doctrinal issues that come from passages doctrinal issues that can be dismissed in sermons. I mean, these aren't always issues like how many angels can dance on the head of a pen that it somehow becomes insignificant so that we can get on to the exhortation. And we haven't figured that out yet because we were were asking that question 30 years ago in college. Indeed, and how about whether or not God can make a square box? (laughs) And so, um, you know, there actually is a time and a place maybe to to wonder those. Um, But sometimes I think pastors might get defensive Mm. because they don't understand, or they didn't mm. bother to read or research. Mm. And as a result, Laz- they might lazy. be dismissal. I think it might be theological laziness. Mm. How often does a text have words that relate to other words in the text? Mm-hmm. They inform it. And if something is just skipped over, mm-hmm. set aside for another occasion, then we have at least an incomplete theology in our lives. Mm-hmm. But particularly the sermon, to let the word be able to inform mm-hmm. the word and bring the messy part in. Yeah, And so I think what I see defensiveness, I think it is when, maybe when pastors look out and see a theologian in the audience, uh, that it maybe creates a little bit Mm -hmm. of insecurity. So I have to be careful and and I have to try to make sure that I'm extra supportive of the pastor, uh, lest the pastor might feel Mm -hmm. defensive even a little bit. And not just saying that because I might invite my pastor to listen (laughs) uh, in today. He'll be the third listener of this program, (laughs) by the way. Um, but I, I think that there is a separation, mm-hmm. a distance that is made 
between a pastor and theological so, issues. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it, you you seem to encourage, and, and as I recall from our lunchtime, uh, we covered a lot over lunch. I think we actually ate as well while we were doing that. Um, th- that you you really like to see a, a pastor having some people around him that can challenge him. So how do you encourage a pastor and challenge him at the same time? Because the tendency is if someone comes to you, I've sensed this, someone wants to critique your message, there's this this emotional barrier that goes up. You know, there's this yes. this tightening in your, we all know the feeling. Yes. Every pastor who's listening to this knows exactly, you know, or someone calls you on or tells you on after your sermon, uh, they'll say, hey, I want to call you tomorrow to talk to you about your <laughs> right. sermon. You're not thinking that he's going to call you to encourage you about the sermon. Yes. And, and so there's this knotted react. you know, your stomach's knotted, you're anxious, you can't sleep that night. What's going on there? And, and how can there be this balance? I mean, a lot of this obviously comes from a pastor being willing to, to listen, to grow, to be humble. But what's the role of the elders, for example, mm. or maybe another mature believer in the church, uh, like a theologian or a Bible professor who attends a church that you invite into your life? Yes. Pastors are human. And that's one thing that makes pastors great. But if you stick them, they will bleed. That expression does describe to a pastor who I believe may have invested a lot of hours into a a sermon, research, study, prayer, preparation. But at the same time, I think some pastors don't put a lot of hours into certain sermons Mm -hmm. with a lot of prayer and a lot of research. And I think both can get their feelings hurt. The latter might get their feeling hurt because they really knew they probably should have done better. Mm-hmm. And no one likes to be criticized when you already know you did not do well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it might be your fault. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, there's a risk to maybe doing your best and be told that was only okay. Mm-hmm. So I try not to tell pastors very often that I just happened to pass out a sermon evaluation form to several people today that is going to be submitted to the church office for them to be able to mm-hmm. learn. But that I think they did okay. <laughs> uh, instead, to say to pastors the right words afterwards that is encouraging. Mm -hmm. Maybe separate yourself. Um, Next time you're at lunch in a month, Mm -hmm. say, hey, you know, that you did bring up one piece of theology I don't particularly agree with. I think that priorities should remain the priorities. And, you know, sometimes people complain too much, Mm -hmm. particularly right afterwards. They tend to complain a little bit louder before it can... it falls aside to, mm-hmm. and uh, people realize the criticism is less important. Uh, but the pastor is human and the pastor needs the word as much as the congregation. Mm. And they naturally are defensive and get their feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. But pastors are servants in the sermon and after the sermon at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to elicit certain responses. Mm-hmm. Look at the sermons of Jesus. Supposed to make emotions come back. Sometimes it's applause and sometimes it's shaking a fist and people yelling, give us Barabbas. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a range of experiences. And I think part of pastoral duty, which stems from pastoral theology, is pastors have to understand that this is an act of service also. Mm-hmm. This is maybe to get unfairly mm-hmm. evaluated um, when they shouldn't. I like the word vulnerability that you used in a recent interview mm-hmm. before you quit with Dr. Heising. Mm-hmm. As he was, as pastor, describing how other pastors have to have a time in which they they may be guarded, not mm-hmm. vulnerable, but they have to have times where they're also vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the right people to And the to right people. Yeah. Imagine after a sermon, uh, someone who's often critical, offering supposedly constructive criticism, mm-hmm. pastors should treat that maybe with a grain of salt, think mm-hmm. on it later. 
but emotionally probably should not be bothered by it. But there are other voices that are more credible. Mm-hmm. So an accountability group are people that you respect. So, so he should, would it be wise for a pastor to select several people to speak freely into their life? And I've never heard a pastor invite the <laughs> feedback on sermons, ever. <laughs> I haven't either. I haven't found that small circle I'm trying to suggest something new here. <laughs> well, in the United Methodist Church, we have the staff-parish relations uh, where we get to evaluate. <laughs> but even then, I'm trying to do yeah, it, and the rest yeah, of the committee yeah, is discouraging. Yeah, and it's usually controlled by the pastor. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, if the system exists, I mean, if, if there's ways to, to have in place... Uh, in the church where uh, the the elders, for example, work with the pastor to have an evaluation. Yes. Um, and, and in, yeah, I mean, I ask my, when I, when I preach, I ask my wife what she thought, and I know she's going to be brutally honest with mm-hmm. me. I can ask someone else that, and they're not going to be honest with me. So it's finding someone. I think it, it probably should be someone other than your spouse, because uh, I, I think you need to have someone who's not as emotionally connected to to the, to you and yes. and observes you before and after the the preaching. Yes. Um, well, what what uh, you know? Let's a pastor listening to this, maybe for some time has longed again anxiety, um, has been anxious to to get better at this, to be deeper. Um, there might be the sense of you know, shoot, I didn't get that MDiv, therefore I'll never be at that height. Uh, that's not necessarily true. I mean, anybody can sharpen and grow. What would you suggest to that guy who really wants to take more seriously theology in, in preaching? Any pastor who listens to the answer to this question, let me just say they immediately have my respect uh, because I think it's so easy to go through ministry and to build off the theological foundation that you had before ministry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to continue to do good things. Yeah. And let's say a pastor is doing all the right things for the kingdom. It's a different issue to continue to be theologically informed, be theologically learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great news uh, as Protestants, particularly, all of us can read theology. Just as all of us can read the Bible. There are some lighter theological works and there are heavier theological works. Uh, we don't have to use one by a Princetonian master like a Machen or a Warfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can find one of our own tradition uh, s- uh, sitting here in my office on the campus of Tagoa Falls College, I've got behind me some Dr. Gerald McGraw books mm-hmm. on sanctification and on theology. Longtime CMA writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you also have a thing that says "No shirt, no shoes, no problem." <laughs> but I don't think that has. Uh, my administrative to do with assistant <laughs> went to uh, Jamaica, and we've had some trouble with MKs, particularly from Indonesia, <laughs> Mitch, kids. who continue to uh, yeah transport bloodborne pathogens across our campus. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of. Daniel Aiken's book, uh, which is called something clever, which I wrote down, Theological Foundations for Who a Pastor Is and What He Does. Mm. So even the title sounds really regular, practical, Mm -hmm. but it's the the theology for who pastors are and what they do. I think that is a Broadman-Holman book, very readable. And that is that might get one to think more theologically. Okay, I'll put that on our link uh, on, on the website. Yeah, tremendous, and he's a great scholar mm-hmm. also. But running through my mind are lots of theology books, uh, systematic theologies, mm-hmm. for example, are often thick, but they address a whole bunch of issues. Commentaries on Scripture often are quite theological. I'm thinking of the NIV application mm-hmm. commentary. Mm-hmm which has exegesis in a section, some theology yeah, those are great. in a section, yeah. then even application separately. Yeah. 
but it introduces the theological yeah, preacher's commentary is one that, that yes. I use uh, quite often. And, and so really, I think theology, thinking theologically, is almost a lifestyle. It's a posture. Mm-hmm. It's exploring a little bit more. It's thinking more consistently, thoroughly. Maybe thinking about implications beyond a sermon prep. Mm-hmm. If someone asks, what's the next step to this particular thing that you mm-hmm. are encouraging today? Almost like the rich young ruler. Well, I've kept that law and that mm-hmm. law and that law, pastor. Uh, what, should I, what else should I do mm-hmm. um, for the pastor to be a theologically ready so I would say that reading theology alongside work is, is a great thing to do. Uh, introduce theology and discipleship um, from VBS all the way up to our seminaries. We mm-hmm. want to continue to have some that. theology classes. I love that. Uh, yeah, and I, this is for lay people as well. Uh, you know, encourage them to pursue uh, theology, you know. Uh, Absolutely. You, you, you cringed as though this is a whole, uh, I, I keep addressing you. No, I keep forgetting you. <laughs> I keep addressing it uh, to pastors. I never uh, imagined as a... Well, imagine, a, you know, a, a lay person who is uh, theologically solid. Uh, that person could uh, indirectly challenge their pastor to go deeper. I mean, if the pastor knows that there are lay people who are... Not just uh, drawing from their from him for their source of nourishment, but they've also you know are, are, are biblically strong. I think that's going to challenge it. You know, a pastor if a pastor has twenty uh, theologians, you know, or Bible uh, you know to go falls college professors attending his church, he's going to work harder in his sermons, isn't he? So if his lay people are driven to be stronger theologically, it's going to help him. He will, or he'll be in a new church. Yeah, in yeah that's true. That's true. Short time. But you know my point. Indeed, you know my point. it is a fascinating relationship mm. between the lay person and their pastor, mm. or a pastor and his, her congregation. Mm. I, I think that in itself has you just its, lost one of my listeners. I, there. <laughs> has its own theological <laughs> um, dynamic to mm. it, and I would say to lay people when it comes to theology that we need to be encouraging to our pastoral staff. Because let's face it, when the pastor often encounters theology as a topic, mm-hmm. it often comes from a passionate parishioner who's read a book mm-hmm. or listened to another podcast by mm-hmm. a popular a contemporary f- theological figure or two, and they come and challenge their pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, a pastor may not really know that much about the Calvinist Arminian free will debate or eschatology or the blessing of the animals. Mm. There's actually a denomination that particularly maintains that to bring it back, to introduce it. And so for lay people, you know, let's not practice our theology on our pastor. Mm-hmm. Let's practice it on our mm-hmm. best friend or our roommate instead. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I cringed earlier was as I suddenly I did, I realized that lay people are listening. I felt a sudden twinge of guilt because mm-hmm. as a non-pastor, non-ordained, you're going to expect me to start listening to these podcasts, too. <laughs> well, part of the role of the pastor is to empower uh, folks, you know, that are listening to his preaching to study the Word. Yes. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's I always saw myself as, as doing that, that I, I'm preaching, and I, I hope that they go home during the week hmm. uh, going deeper in that passage, mm-hmm. you know. Now, another, another way to... Uh, I believe to uh, remain or to, to be consistent theologically in preaching is, is just to stick to the scripture. Mm. Uh, you know, if you're if that's where if that's the only thing you do, I mean, yeah, you can go deeper, uh, read other sources, but I think it starts there. Just be be committed to preach the scripture uh, because there's there's so much being said out there that that uh, you know might refer to one scripture, but that's about it. Um, Indeed. 
and many pastors are committed to the scripture in a lot mm. of churches, uh, but co- to continue to be committed and to bring the scripture and thus theology into all of the ministries of the church mm. and all of the issues without overdoing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you don't need to quote scripture with the handshake after that sermon. No, that's the reason why you're doing. What that's you're exactly doing. right. Yeah. And yeah. we often forget the reason why. Yeah. And like all things in the Christian life, scripture, scripture anchors us. Yeah. Uh, wrap up here with a couple more questions uh you know paul's instructions to timothy where he, he says preach the word in season and out of season uh what is, what in your view is the out of season that we're preaching to today and in, in other words what are some of the things that we should be preaching that might not be popular but they're still essential to the church keeping in mind that the things preached today affect the trajectory of the church tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it is, a, it is a heavy responsibility that pastors have to bring the word of God with mm-hmm. responsibility to their people because they are influential on the direction of the church. So the issues of today, some degree, are the issues of tomorrow, its consequences, how we handle them. Gender, sexual identity, has mm-hmm. it ever been so big? Mm-hmm. Not in our yeah. lifetime. And maybe even looking at church history in recent mm-hmm. centuries, it hasn't quite had Uh, the same struggles that it has now. I think to continue to develop biblical anthropology, to understand theologically, Mm -hmm. uh, everything from who are Adam and Eve and what's their exact dynamic at Mm -hmm. work and how Mm -hmm. much can we get from Genesis 2 and how much can we not, uh, all the way up to uh, the traditional questions of women's roles in the life of the Mm -hmm. church and uh, what marriage is also. So I continue to think gender. How can we not be informed mm. theologically mm. about gender and expect to be good uh, ministers of the gospel right now? Uh, also, secondly, race in our lifetime, even, you know, uh, we growing up in the 60s mm-hmm. when we were younger, I mean, we saw images on TV, mm-hmm. but uh, we saw them on PBS on documentaries in the 80s and 90s. And now more than we we remember our age mm-hmm. uh, here. And yet race is extremely sensitive issue and we have to be careful. I think how we appropriate the word there in its theology is powerful. One way that we might be informed by that, Mitch, is to look at what the Southern Baptist, how, what formed the Southern Baptist Convention. It was over race and particularly not slavery, but whether or not slaveholders mm. could, could be sent as missionaries overseas. Mm. Wow. What's the history there? Mm. Um, not just Black History Month, but theological mm-hmm. lifetime learning, uh, to be able to understand wh- what the church has done right and wrong mm-hmm. with regard to race uh, in our country, but particularly even in recent days. And then uh, keep in mind that sometimes race and gender, it can be temptation to accommodation for us all. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. in the name of counseling or the name of niceness or in the name of not looking racist, uh, we all might accommodate mm-hmm. theologically if we're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, both of those come to mind. But a third, maybe for us all, suffering. Mm. Americans are anemic in their doctrine of suffering. Mm. We saw ISIS remove heads of some Orthodox, you know, on the other mm-hmm. side of the world, and we were moved by it. A bit of a wake-up call. Mm. Martyrs mm. still happen today. Mm-hmm. And yet it still felt like it was the other side of the world. Yeah. And it was yeah. a YouTube video. Mm. And we live in America. Mm. And so our notion of suffering might be a a couple bad sermons in a row, yeah, or uh, <laughs> you know, or uh, 
you know, for, we had on, the, to, on the preacher's part or the people <laughs> listening, <laughs> uh, you know, we had to skip a meal or two, or we, yeah. we don't have as much spending money as we'd like. So, moving ahead, a persecution often cycles, mm. and it, it might be that yeah. whether it be social, so, political, yeah, we, so, this could be around so, the corner for us. Yeah. So preaching maybe more, uh, you know, back to eschatology, and we we see. I mean, that was more in the '80s. We were talking a lot about the end times, the last days, and. It didn't happen in the decade, you know, in, in our microwave society. It didn't happen immediately. So we've, we've let that go. It might be, yes, it might yeah, be time. We've, to re- we've left that behind. To, yes, <laughs> indeed. And so we might have to reset yeah. all yeah, those Yeah, but that's part of, you know, yeah, good eschatology yeah, will, but will not just Yes, eschatology, yes. That's a part of it. Mm. Another particular part of it, I think, is simply that we live in fallen bodies. We live in an imperfect world. And our calling is not to comfort. And our yeah. calling is not to security, it's even hope. to ourselves it's, it's and our family. It's hope for eternal life. Indeed, it? it is. That's what heaven is yeah. for, is that that perfect rest. On this side, uh, you know, we might have to leave family behind or mm. leave things behind. Mm. You often hear sermons against mammon, mm-hmm. money. Yeah. And we'll quote Jesus that we can't serve both. Uh, but, you know, it's not just yachts. It actually might be, if what if our rights are taken away from mm-hmm. us and we don't have as much... Uh, what if we, you know, what if we had to go back to a flip phone? Mm-hmm. Um, what would that mean if if that's what the kingdom uh, requires? A bit of a facetious example, mm-hmm. but to have less is mm-hmm. what has historically ch- not only characterized most of the church, but characterized some of the greatest success stories. Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. think of martyrs in the early church, they didn't yeah. have established church, and when you consider uh, monasticism, its its rise often was to improve a church which had become spoiled and was wealthy and inherited a lot of land mm. and now had the problems of the rich. Mm. And a, a, a new movement with the monasticism mm. would come up. And it was often the lifestyle of, whether it be celibacy or poverty or a lot of spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. it made a lot of great people of the faith be able to endure a lot of hardship mm. because they were not expecting a comfortable life in the kingdom. Yeah. They were expecting a life of suffering. Well, it's hard, to, it's hard to prepare for suffering when you're not suffering. You know, it takes suffering to prepare for suffering. Indeed it does. Yeah. And so, Lord, may it come yeah, in might, small yeah, yeah. grades. But, 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 yeah, being, I, I think, uh, again, being reminded that we are, we are, uh, you know, tran- we it's transcendent. We're uh, we're uh, on a journey here. Um, we're mortal. We are going to die one day. We're going to go to heaven. Being being reminded of that and the gospel. Uh, you know, I, I I love it when I'm listening to a guy preaching, and every Sunday it's the, he reminds us what Jesus did for us. Mm-hmm. That He's forgiven us of our sins. That we're sinners, and we come to church to be reminded that we're forgiven. Amen. Uh, I hope that uh, pastors, if they have gone out away from that that they would come back to that indeed that, in fact uh, being christocentric mm-hmm. christological is one of the most give a good one of the most powerful ways to be to <laughs> yeah, be theological yeah, absolutely uh, remember we wore the bracelets in a trend now gone by wwjd mm-hmm. yeah. it just reminded us that jesus has a perspective on mm-hmm. what we do yeah what would jesus do in this case yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well um just a final thought here kind of thought-provoking um, what do you think the church will look like in 10 years from now? What will the pastor who's maybe off the starting blocks now, what sort of things is he going to be dealing with mm. in 10, 20 years, you think? Technological issues, mm. particularly life. Uh, beginning of life, end of life, life design. Mm. What country was it? Was it Oriental? Recently gave citizenship to their first technological android. 
Wow. Yeah, I'm going to maybe say Japan. Sorry for yeah. the inaccuracy yeah. on the radio. But yes, citizenship was granted to a technological avatar. <laughs> and I saw the picture, and it, it looks a little creepy. I mean, mm. what if they identify with a male gender? Mm. And which pronoun yeah, should I use yeah. uh, particularly there, Mitch? So yeah, technological issues will continue to touch on anthropology. Mm. I can touch on God's providence. I mean, mm. God is enabling us to encourage life, you know, with reproductive technologies. Mm -hmm. But as we move into cloning, I mean, we're kind of creating life. Mm -hmm. And where does life begin and end? Not in the womb, but in the lab and wow. in the uh, in IT, mm -hmm. in our information mm -hmm. technology. That those that group of mm -hmm. people uh, could be the ones making life. Uh, so that issue comes to mm -hmm. mind. I think race and gender, I, I think that they will cycle. Mm -hmm. I think um, people do get tired of dealing with the same issues, especially when solutions mm -hmm. aren't, aren't going to be found, whether it be politically, economically, socially. And the core of issues, shootings, race, and mm -hmm. gender, I mean, underneath them is God's design and, mm -hmm. and sin of God's design. Yeah, uh, Really, lawlessness, which the Bible speaks of, will be you know, reality in the end times. That's Indeed. And those things do seem to cycle like a yeah. corkscrew yeah. moving yeah. forward in the future uh, where we'll have another challenge that mm. is new, such mm. as technology, that will become more challenging. And, yeah, maybe race will subside. Maybe mm -hmm. we'll do enough good during this time. Yeah. To be so your, your encouragement to the pastor in, in light of all this would be what in closing here? My encouragement is Jude 1-3, mm. that they contend earnestly for the faith. Nice. Uh, not just the faith that they hold passionately mm -hmm. and that they preach on and that they minister mm -hmm. on and encourage others to, uh, but to quote Jude 1.3, contending earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. Mm -hmm. There's a theological mm -hmm. history to mm -hmm. what we believe. It is biblical and even somewhat beyond the Bible because mm -hmm. the Bible doesn't tell us everything. Uh, but to stay in the Word and to stay in the things that help us understand the Word, help us understand God and ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that theology they might have been taught in seminary or even an undergraduate, the theology that they get from podcasts like mm -hmm. this, this is theological training. Mm -hmm. And so to continue that as a lifestyle, mm -hmm. I think is one that honors God. And I think He honors our ministries and our work mm -hmm. when we contend earnestly for the faith which was delivered to all the saints. Excellent. Well, solid, solid words, great encouraging words to, uh, to wrap up here. Brian, thanks so much for your time and for a great conversation here today. Mitch, thank, thank you, you so much for letting me be a part. You are so welcome. Well, there you have it. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, love to hear from you. Uh, please email me at, before, at mitch at beforeyouquit.us, mitch at beforeyouquit.us. You can also go to our website and listen to other podcasts and read blogs that I've written on many different subjects. And uh, we'd be so encouraged if you would do that. So until next week, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.